I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. Well, we're back, guys. Matt Dixon here, welcoming you once again to another special Purple Patch Podcast. And this one is special because it's one where I find myself highly outclassed by three exceptional women who I, bizarrely, perhaps not so bizarrely, have been tasked with taking on a journey through professional triathlon. If you enjoyed the last conversation with Laura, Sarah and Kevin, our world-class pros, I think you're going to love this conversation today. This is what I labelled our Brainiac Pro Edition. Laurence Delisle, Sonia Bracegirdle and Cecilia Davis-Hayes, three charming and committed brand new professional athletes with Purple Patch. They are all starting their journey to world class, but all three of them have already excelled in many areas of life. Collectively, their academic, business and sporting accomplishments make up a body of work that is highly impressive. I think it adds context and a unique lens on the start of their pro careers in triathlon. And they prove full of insight and advice for anyone who is on a quest for self-improvement. But before we head into the main course, our meat and potatoes, we have to hit word of the week. We like the way he thinks, serious with the way. Let's open the book, it's time to take a peek. It's the Dictionary Word of the Week. Word of the Week, okay, this week it is going to be... Strength, yes, strength training. A phrase of the dictionary is strong like bull, smart like tractor. And for our endurance athletes, much of that bull like strength comes from the tough endurance sessions that we do. But did you know that every single purple patch athlete engages in year round strength training? Well, the question is why? And I tell you, it's not just the uninspiring reason to try and avoid injury, which is touted out there as the fundamental reason to integrate strength into an endurance journey. It's also not so that they grow big muscles. There are really two main reasons that I embrace strength training for endurance athletes. The first is quite simple. I want you to become a better functioning human being. We are designed to move and we are designed to lift heavy things. So I want you to be globally athletic as a platform of health that you can then yield better endurance gains. And that is part two. It is to enhance your performance yield from that so specific, most specific endurance training that you're going to do. This is important for men. It's critical for women, and we will explain why it's so important for women in future strength-based podcasts. So let's dive into how strength helps endurance athletes and fitness enthusiasts. Well, the first thing is it actually helps it recruit the number of fibers into the usable mix. So that's an important component of improving yield from the specific swim, bike, and run that you might be doing if you're a triathlete or a cycling or a runner or a rower, whatever your endurance passion might be. It also assists improving the neurological connection between brain and muscle. Let's face it, we want endurance athletes to know where their bits and pieces are. Unfortunately, way too many endurance athletes will poke themselves in the eye if they're asked to touch their nose. We want to improve that. Strength training is a vehicle for it. We also hope to improve joint mobility and overall musculoskeletal tissue health. And so strength training will assist in that journey as well. And ultimately, we want to provide a platform of improved strength to build endurance resilience and power from. Any endurance coach who poo-poos the role of strength is evangelical on the side of endurance. No different than any crossfitter who completely dismisses the value of doing any endurance work. And guess what? You might be time starved, but the commitment doesn't have to be big. Even two to three 15 to 20 minute weekly sessions can provide great yield from you. And that is why the word of the week is strength. Now, go get some. All 
right, guys, the meat and potatoes, and this is an episode that I am truly excited for. I'm gathered here today with three of my emerging Purple Patch professionals. I've got Sonia Bracegirdle, Cecilia Davis-Hayes, and Lawrence Delisle. And the reason I asked them on the show is to talk about their journey so far as a professional triathlete. But this story goes beyond that. This is a really unique individual and collective story. And I think you're going to understand what I mean when I read out their bios. Today, we're going to explore their journey, their approach to performance, their goals in the sport, some of their fears even, and what they've learned so far. But to really give this show credit and to frame what we're going to be talking about, the only way to do it is to introduce each of them. So here we go. I want you to listen carefully here. We're going to go through their bios as briefly as I can because each one of them is pretty long. We'll welcome them to the show, then we'll dig into the details. So Sonia, thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you. Here is your bio. So you have an MA and MSci, as you should call it, in natural sciences, a chemistry major from Cambridge University. You then have a PhD in organic chemistry from Oxford. And a little bit of career stuff as well. You're a managing consultant at McKinsey and BCG. And then you went into biotech venture capital. From a sporting standpoint, you're a New Zealand triathlon junior development squad member. Four times you're in the blue boat race wins with Cambridge and Oxford, which is uh, quite impressive. I don't think too many have probably done that. And in 2017... A couple of age group wins as you ventured into triathlon, your very first triathlon since you dipped your toe in in 2003. Kiwi, and as you say, refined by the UK, <laughs> married to a Belgian. What a cocktail that is. And on top of that, you're now living in Amsterdam. But since I've known you, I think you've been on every continent almost as you house it around the world for the last three years, including living in a van in Chile for six months. So... Did I give you credit there? That's uh, that's perfect. It's quite a background. <laughs> and now you j- join Purple Patch and launch off and begin your professional triathlon career. Next up, Cecilia, or, or we call her CDH. So CDH, welcome. Thank you for having me. No worries. It's good fun. So you, as an underachiever that you are, you have a bachelor's in biology and pre-med from Williams College, which is in Massachusetts. And you're currently enrolled at medical school at Columbia University expected May 2019 but you're taking a little bit of special dispensation here a couple of years really to go on a personal journey for triathlon which we're going to explore as we go through this. From a sporting background you're actually a participant in the Tour of California which is a big cycling race in 2014. I I actually did not know that. You've done a marathon, the one and only, and you broke three hours. It's true. It's not bad. <laughs> and uh, we call you the baby giraffe as well, so that's incredibly impressive as well. And in triathlon, you were the 2015 age group national champion in Olympic distance, third place in the age group worlds, uh, and you've uh, already had a year of triathlon under the Purple Patch umbrella where you've had an incredibly successful first year as you ventured into the sport, second place at the Escape Philadelphia Triathlon, fourth at Augusta, fifth at Santa Cruz, Eagle Man, and Miami. Not a bad way to do your first year, so thank you very much. Yeah, it's been a fun journey so far. And now we have Laurence. So Laurence, uh, you might actually hear me over the course of the show refer to Beanie, because most of our pros have nicknames and in fact I I wouldn't be surprised if Sonia earns her nickname throughout the course of this conversation (laughs) (laughs) but Beanie education a bachelor of science in marine biology so you're a marine biologist with a minor in teaching you're a published author of hydrobiology (laughs) explain them all that (laughs) predator presence alters prey diet composition but not quantity in tide pool fish interactions or whatever that meant so uh, I'll I'll re-listen to that when I talked about that Um, you have a mild sporting background you competed in both the US and Canadian Olympic trials in swimming you're an NC2A Division I All-American in swimming. You swam for UCLA, obviously, for four years. You have several swimming records there. The only freshman to make the NC2As. And you actually had to medically retire from swimming due to a broken shoulder, which was actually your gateway to triathlon. We'll dive into that a little bit later. That's when you got into triathlon. 
you've been become one of the most successful amateurs on the planet twice you've been the overall amateur at the 70.3 worlds and now your big toe is dipping into the world of professional sport i want to add one more thing about laurence because outside of her fantastic background in swimming and sport and the backbone of being a marine biologist she's also got some other interesting things as well so you also in that journey and swimming is a demanding sport you managed to learn to play three instruments the cello the piano the french horn Uh, you almost left high school to become an olympic pentathlete which i had no idea was a part (laughs) of your resume you're a dirty immigrant just like me coming from canada so therefore you're obviously bilingual Mm -hmm. Uh, although you don't speak real french you speak canadian french which we know is a a butchering of the language (laughs) and um and the interesting thing with all of your swimming background is that you were fearful of water for the several years of your life you wouldn't even get in the water because yeah. i think your big brother didn't say was it your big brother that told you that there were sharks in pools yeah he told me uh, there's sharks in the water so i refused to get in the water for a year and outside of your triathlon career now you must actually do one other thing that you might actually say is the most important job in the world at least it is to me because you are the nanny to my son yes. baxter little uh, <laughs> terrier which i can tell everyone is a is a very challenging position but very rewarding <laughs> but very rewarding <laughs> he, is a, he is quite the character so those are the three bios if you think about if you close your eyes as a listener and you think about your vision of a professional athlete I think that these three women are very different from that. And that's what I want to explore today. Clearly exceptional in so many aspects of life. And now they're going on a journey where they're going to challenge themselves or already challenging themselves to become the very best athlete that they can be. And so let's kick it off. Let's let's talk about this. I think this is really interesting. It's inspirational to start for even for me as a coach and and to have the the honest privilege to be able to guide you in the sporting aspects but um all three of you have a massive background in academia accomplishment outside of sport so the question is why why go after professional sport what's what's the thirst what are the goals what's the mission and and i ask this for my professional athletes i've asked this for some of the executives but why are you choosing this journey and maybe cecilia can start Sure. Well, I have an image in my head of um, being about 10 years old, sitting in front of the TV at my grandparents' house um, in Wichita, Kansas, with the, um, the 1999 Women's World Cup in soccer was on, and the women from the U.S. won the... Um, the gold medal and they I, I knew that, that watching that that I wanted to be like them and I developed this fire inside of me that wanted to be the best athlete I can be first it was soccer then it was running then it was cycling and when all these didn't work out um, I was very disappointed and I finally when I was least expecting it when I would finally turned almost entirely to academics in medical school that kind of appeared before me was triathlon and and I finally found the sport where I really could did have the opportunity to make it as a professional and that was an opportunity I wasn't willing to pass up and that that's uh, I mean that that really explored I mean you, you you sort of we are very fortunate that Columbia have been so sort of uh, flexible with their programming because you, you're really actually basically taking time out on this journey of medical school which everyone appreciates is really challenging really demanding and pretty rigid i mean these are the rules but they've actually given you a special dispensation yeah to, to go and explore this for a couple of years yeah they have so um it was one of the harder things i've ever had to ask for but it was a lesson in life that if you really want something you make a meeting with the person in charge and ask for what you want and even if you think they're gonna say no sometimes they just say yes and if you go in with a plan and say um Mrs. Dean of Med Doctor, Dean of Med School. Um, can I take two extra years to do research? But hey, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I would like to compete as a professional triathlete and graduate two years later. C- can we make 
um, a special clause for me. Um, and she says, yeah, we have to get a special committee to meet on your behalf, but but sure. Then I, I took the opportunity and it's been a, one of the best decisions I've made. But. Well, in- interestingly, when when you came on board with Purple Patch and you're, you're an amateur athlete under us, but you said, I've got this chance. And I started talking about long-term development and you said, Nobody, I got two years. <laughs> Let's do this. And, uh, so it is an accelerated program. How about you, Sonia? How was what's, um, uh, what's your story? Yeah, so I think uh, sort of throughout like high school and university, I was already always pretty focused on the academic side of things. So um, I, you know, I had some great opportunities like studying overseas and stuff like that. And I think kind of thanks to all that and some great people along the way, I kind of had the well, I reached my academic potential, let's say, and that's that's probably why I'm not in research now. <laughs> um, but sports kind of always been there, and I like Cecilia. I've, um, you know, always had this this itch to um, to explore the professional side of things, um, and and it's sort of now I think the time has come, or at least I've made the decision um, to to try to reach you know my sporting potential and to give. Um, you know that side a chance as well to see um, basically to see what to happen to see how fast I can be <laughs> um, and to see how sort of sustainable I can make it um, longer term as well. And Laurence? Well I always grew up being very naturally talented in several disciplines whatever you'd put me in I was good at and I fell into swimming loved it love had a love-hate relationship with it and at UCLA my fourth year, I had to medically retire because I slipped walking to class and broke my shoulder, and it was really devastating. And we were just at the height of resting and tapering, and our, all our big meets were coming up, and I just felt like I still had something in me. And my older brother, Guillaume, uh, he was competing in triathlons, doing Kona, and I really, I've always looked up to my older brother, always wanted to be like him. So my dad bought me a bike, and we all went on a bike ride. And I absolutely hated it. I was like, this is the worst thing ever. But I stuck to it because it was kind of a family thing. And then I met the UCLA tri-team and loved the camaraderie in triathlon and just loved everything about it. Started competing and was actually good at it. And I loved having three disciplines, being able to swim, bike, and run rather than just swim two times a day. Mm -hmm. And I just saw myself excelling. And my older brother actually came up to me and he's like, Laurence, you should try to do this. You should try to be a pro. And to get his kind of um, endorsement endorsement was like such a big thing for me. And my parents fully supported me. They said, whatever you need, we'll help you. And um, it was just amazing. So now I'm here and finally becoming a pro and just excited to see where I can go. Yeah, well, over the last weeks, we've been talking about the journey a lot. And, um, uh, and uh, in, in your case in particular, actually, I think it's really a part of that story that's really important. And in fact, it reminds me, the very first connection we had outside of when you happened to meet me on a beach in, yeah. in LA and said, oh, I'd, I'd like to talk to you about coaching. Your email that you sent me said, here's a video of me racing. And it was of you staggering across the line. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was the most unathletic thing I've so ever seen. And, uh, and Laurence was on her route or en route to winning the national championships, much like you did in, in um, the collegiate national championships. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but she sent me a video that was the last five seconds where she was weaving from exhaustion and collapsed <laughs> over the line. I said, please coach me. <laughs> but from that point uh, that I think is really important and relevant is... That was now several years ago, and you've been a Purple Patch athlete for four years? Four years, Four years, and you were not ready emotionally or physically Mm -hmm. to transition to become a pro. And the one thing that is really, really hard is to have aspirations to deviate from academia or Mm -hmm. professional life and say, this is what I'm going to do, and then have a coach say, great, but you have to develop. And now you're ready. And, uh, and that's, that's something that I believe will set you up for success. And I think we can both sit here and say, if we had have gone professional, and you had qualified to be pro, you would have yeah. failed, which is, uh, I think, uh, a really interesting thing. Well, um, I, really, I really respected you for that when you came up to me. And you were the only coach that said, you're not ready. And from a swimming background, I knew that there was a difference between being an elite level individual and, also, and then being world class and being like Olympic caliber, that kind of stuff. So when you told me you're not ready, I said, yeah, I'm not ready. I have no idea what I'm doing. My run sucks. Yeah, I'm a good swimmer, but that only carries me so far. So that's when I knew and I looked at your philosophy and I said, this is the coach for me. Like, I need to be told no. 
and that's how partnerships get created. <laughs> Let, let's go back a little bit, and um, uh, you know, it's a it's a lovely way to get rolling. Let, let's go back and talk a little bit about that parallel because uh, academia was there, and it, it sounds like am, am I right in saying that sports have always been in one way or another a part of your life and a part of your journey? What, what, it, did any of you have a real deviation where? basically sports became a huge back burner or non-existent or have you always been athletic and active i've always been athletic and active Um, (laughs) i've had a couple like surgeries that took me out of athletics which really showed me how much i do love athletics and Mm -hmm. how it's really important for me in order to excel in all areas of my life because when athletics was removed either by choice or because i was injured my grades would plummet, I had too much time on my hands, I didn't really know what to do with myself, and athletics really put this structure in my life where, yeah, you're going out there, you're really being active, and you feel really good about yourself, and then you can come home and really concentrate on life and studying and doing all that other stuff. So that, that's, um, that, that was the prelude to the question, I was hoping you were going to go there, so that's great. It's like, if, with this role of active life, because now you're, you know, everything is anchored around sporting performance, but... For much of your lives, it has been a supportive role, a critical supporting role. So how, what I want to explore is how have sports or an active lifestyle helped you? In what ways did they help you in your professional lives, in your, in your academia? Is, are there, anyone got any thoughts on that? Whether they played a role or whether it was just a release? Yeah, I'm happy to jump in here. Um, so I have uh, I have a bit of a tendency to be a bit uh, a bit sort of tunnel vision or go into tunnel vision mode, basically. Um, sort of when I'm focused on a particular goal, like exams or something like that. And sort of, you know, despite kind of quitting rowing several times <laughs> in the like eight years I was at university, um, ultimately, and this is of course with the, the, the benefit of hindsight, <laughs> it was a, a kind of a welcome antidote to lots of hours in the library and, and also a great, you know, lesson in time management as well I think with, without that uh, you know everything you do expands to fill the time you have so yeah. it, it actually um, created a sort of a framework it does, for your exactly. structure of where you had these periods yeah. of intense work but then beyond the emotional release it actually provided structure that your yeah. work could be more effective yeah so, for sure for sure yeah. and also I mean coming from an individual sport so sort of doing triathlons as a junior um, it's a bit of a cliche but there's um, you know you learn from the crew dynamics you learn about teamwork and you learn about responsibility to other people and I also I, for my sins I was um, the the Oxford Women's President for a season as well, and and that was a bit of a crash course in, in leadership and mm-hmm. organisation and communication things as well, which I think did help me immensely when I, I kind of entered the real world <laughs> and had to talk to people <laughs> in my job. So um, so no, I got a lot from from rowing in particular at university. And, and Laurence, how how about you on that side of stuff? Um, for me, I mean, the same things with the structure, but one of the biggest lessons I learned, and I think sport, if I didn't have sport, I would still be struggling with this today, is dealing with stress and stressful situations. And I put a lot of individual stress on myself throughout my entire life to the point where coaches would say, like, are your parents putting this stress on you? What's going on? I was like, no, my parents support me no matter what. And I still to this day remember when I was nine years old, um, I'd be crying three days before swim meets, just terrified, 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 my poor parents. And it was right before the finals of the 200 IM, I think it was. And you could visibly see that I was extremely stressed out, crying in my goggles, all that stuff. And my dad looked at me and he pulled me aside. And I still remember this so clearly. And he laid me on the grass and he said, don't worry about warm up, just lay here with me. We're looking up at the blue sky. And he said, Laurence, no matter what happens, I will always love you, always. And I went out there, did my race, um, and crushed it. But like, it was just every single time now that I get stressed out or think that something's impossible, I remember that moment. And I know that as long as I try my hardest, that's all, that's all I can ask for myself. That's everything that I can ask for myself. So in my personal life, in my professional life, and when I nanny, whatever I do, everything's going to be fine if I just try my best. And everyone's still going to love me and... The world's not going to come crashing down, and it's going to be okay. You're making Sonia cry. <laughs> no, 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 no. Single tear. A tear up. Single tear and, um, down my cheek. <laughs> CDH. 
Anything? <laughs> yes. Um, well, like as Sonia was saying, it's having sport there is a good complement to studying or to being at work because you have this all day where you're working your neurons and then finally you can uh, fire your muscle fibers and just as a nice complement. And I think even beyond that, just not having all your eggs in one basket, either the triathlon basket or the medical school basket for me is, re- is really helpful. If you have come home and have um, a rough day where somebody, you know, makes you feel like you don't know anything about hypertension and you you can then go and run the hell out of a uh, running workout, then it's really <laughs> nice. To, and you do that really well. Even if you did one thing poorly that day, you can exceed in the other discipline and vice versa. Mm-hmm. It's you don't have a great workout like other triathlete pros who maybe that's all they're doing that day. I can go and make a really pretty figure for my paper <laughs> And that is a success. So, so I, I actually think that that is a really important thing that you just said there because it comes into how we view ourselves, how you identify mm-hmm. yourself and uh, you create your identity. And we can take our professional career very, very seriously. And obviously all, all three of you have as you've gone on your journeys. And at the same time, you can take your professional triathlon career or your hobby really seriously. But I think it creates... Um, multiple oil wells of life you're not just having to suck from a hose sort of thing you're actually got other areas where it distributes your focus and you look for small victories and sometimes it's almost the beauty of this sport as well where you have three disciplines and you can have a bad swim but you might go back and have a ride and feel very different and that's sort of a part of the luck and charm of multi-sport is you can have different weaknesses you can have days or periods where you don't feel good in a certain session so I, I, I like that and I, I think that it can framing the sport as as the release as the both a unit to help work performance but also the release in another area of victory I think is really important um, so let's switch gears a little bit and let, let's talk about the challenges because you have lived challenge, challenges academically and professionally. And now you're on this journey where you've got a whole different set of challenges. So without diving into the triathlon details yet, how are sport and Sunday? What are the similarities that you feel like with the challenges that you've faced on the journeys? When you, when you sort of think about the two, can you draw parallels towards the journey of academia and the journey of triathlon? I think for me, one of the one of the best things um, about a competitive sport is that you can basically build like this highly structured approach to you know your year and your approach. Yeah, it's your approach to something. So you've got these macro and micro cycles of training, and you're building it around races, and you've got different priorities associated with them. And in that way, it's a lot like university and. And less like uh, being in a job was for me. But mm-hmm. so you have your courses and you have your prelims and finals. And, and I love that. I love that structure. Um, so I like the way each session, you know, it has a purpose um, in the same way. For example, you know, a lecture and experiment has, um, you know, a focus or a hypothesis. Um, and I also like the fact that, um, you know, there's great value in working with other people, but also in tackling a session by yourself as well. Um, but ultimately, I think the biggest thing is that I love the ownership um, that we have in sport. You know, I, I think it was this morning or maybe last night, Kevin um, said a key session is as, it's as hard as you make it. Um, so that was kind of his words of wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> and that's exactly right, right? It's just, it's just like university, you get out what you put in. So I'm going to be that, that cheesy person who quotes stuff. And I have, I have checked that I'm, I'm not getting this right. Mm. But I think it was um, Maya Angelou who said, uh, nothing will work unless you do. So that's, you know, that, that's kind of the beauty of sport. Um, and a particularly like quite an autonomous sport like triathlon is that you can take ownership of your journey and the progress you make along the, on the way. And that's, um, yeah. yeah and, and so I, so with that statement, which I think is, I mean, you know that that's my coaching mindset is uh, each of you has to own your own journey and, and we are here to sort of facilitate. When when you go back to, so I want to explore coaching a little bit and um, go back, how important were mentors in your studying professors and, and roles because it's ultimately your journey but were the, the, the value and the quality of the mentors key for you to, to sort of accelerate or maximize your experience professionally within the academia? So for, for me, absolutely. And there's, um, you know, there's kind of, oh, there's a big variation and obviously who you come into contact with and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But um, 
I think one of the, I mean, one of the biggest things is expertise. You're um, just like in coaching, um, you know, well, exercise physiology, for example, is, is rapidly changing. Our understanding of it um, is sort of, you know, morphing, yeah. and morphing as, as um, you know, probably as we speak. Yeah. <laughs> and just, you know, having someone with more experience and someone with a, you know, sort of, I suppose, a more like global mindset um, to help you navigate that, I think is is critical. That's that's mm. what experts are for. And, and that's, that's that's certainly why like you know I choose to be coached (laughs) in this in this journey um and I think the other thing um as well as is having the the bird's eye view or the you know the 36,000 foot view or (laughs) whatever you want to call it um is that you it's so easy to get stuck in the minutiae and you know kind of focus too much on certain things in every session and get het up when something goes wrong and not you know, see that bigger perspective, see the bigger journey. And that, again, is what your coach or, you know, in the sort of academic sense, your mentor is there for is to, um, you know, it's a, it's a step along the way. It's part of the process. Um, and they, they kind of help you help you see that. Well, how do you see the, the value or the role of, of a coach? Yeah, so um, I can draw similar parallels with my mentors and my professors in medical school, m- kind of their ability to to see the big picture and take a step back and say, you know, it, what if it's a clinical situation, okay, what, what can we do to really impact this patient's life and not getting so drowned out in the details? Okay, this dose of this medication, which is what you tend to do when you're a learner, just um, take baby steps. And I think... For, for, for a coach, um, there's a little bit of a different relationship. You're really placing your trust fully in, in someone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, that's a um, big reason I was before this, I was, um, being coached by more of a friend. And I realized when I would tow the line for a race, I wouldn't feel, I would start, these doubts would start to creep into my head. Am I prepared? Have I done the right thing? Did I, did I do too many miles on that long run or too few miles? And, uh, and uh, since I've been coached by Purple Patch in the last year and a half, I've, um, thrown myself totally in and not, not like I was an un, unthinking, unquestioning, uncritically minded monk, but I, um, but I trusted completely in the program and I asked questions and it was a back and forth, but I really believed. And, um, I think that having that confidence in the program that you're doing each and every day, um, gives you a massive leg up on race day because you tow that line and you think that, that you can, you can do anything you set your mind to that day because you are prepared as best as you can be. And it's a really magical feeling. No, that's great. And I think that's good. And I, I think that you have a, for, for the record, you have been an active participant on your journey, which is, uh, which is, I think, a part of what you're saying there. You yeah, know, it's exactly. like uh, there's this this undoubtable trust. At the same time, uh, you need to be a participant. You can't be a passenger. Yeah, um, how about you, Lawrence? You, yeah, you? kind of along the same lines as Cecilia, having that trust. But I've been coached by many people in my life, and good and bad coaches. And one of the biggest things for me is not only that you trust the coach, but the the coach trusts you. Yeah. Because if the coach doesn't trust you, you can't go up to the coach and say, I'm exhausted. And they can't trust you and be like, okay, you're exhausted. No problem. Let's back off. Mm. If they don't trust you, they just keep doing what they think is right. Keep doing, oh, nope, keep going, keep going. And then you just put yourself in a hole. You start hating the sport. You give up and you're done. And so having that trust is so crucial and having fun because I can go back to my college days and looking at, for example, a class I took on plants. And I was sitting in the classroom, hated the class. I think I got the worst grade I've ever gotten at UCLA in that class. A minus. <laughs> I wish. But um, then I went to Australia for my study abroad for marine biology, and we had to take a plant class. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be awful. I'm not looking forward to this. I had the most wonderful professor. We spent two, three weeks out in the wilderness exploring like the biodiversity and we were sitting there in rainforests and he would walk through and give us examples and I ended up loving plants and I was like, this is the most amazing discipline ever. Can I keep doing this? (laughs) And it was just the difference between having this amazing mentor who made it fun and exciting and amazing rather than a boring person that was just like, do this and this and this. And that's that's not what I want. 
Yeah, and uh, well, and it, that I mean, it comes to if if people in any vein of sport or or otherwise are looking for a coach or a mentor, I think it's fit is the critical element Huge. because some people, yeah, understanding mm. yourself and knowing what you need mm -hmm. to ultimately facilitate your success, I think is a really important component. And I always say it when I'm, I, I just came back from a conference, purple patch is not for everyone. Mm -hmm. we, we are not the right coaching team for everyone. I'm not the right coach for everyone because I'm obviously, well, I assume a bit more collaborative and a little less dictator, yeah. even though I can be nasty to you guys sometimes. <laughs> but, uh, well, well let, let's, let's really shift gears because um, we're here, we're in Scottsdale right now. And we're not on holiday. We're not just taking a winter break. We're at the at the camp, and and we're at the end of camp. So I'm I'm getting a muted version of you guys. Normally I do much more because uh, because I've just um, uh, beaten them up for the last week mm -hmm. or so. But you're here on camp, and some of the athletes that you're surrounded with are are very very well known in the in the world of Ironman and half Ironman or Ironman seventy point three. They're established some of the best in the world. Um, is that intimidating to you as you come to a camp like this? And, and perhaps we should, uh, particularly ask Sonia, because you hadn't really met any of them yet. No. <laughs> Spoken to a few on the phone. but yeah. um, So it's, it's a little bit kind of cliched, but I kind of like to think of intimidation as being a bit, as a mindset, essentially. So it's completely under your internal control, but of course it's completely inevitable <laughs> that you'll be in, in, intimidated as well. So yes, certainly there's an element of intimidation um, certainly coming into something like this. Um, and for me, I've tried to tackle that side of things by managing my own expectations around performance, which is not something I'm very good at generally. Um, and to think about the fact that uh, success is earned, not given. So, you know, other people have been in the sport far longer than I have and I'm at the start of the journey and to be kind of, you know, realistic um, around where I am. And but kind of the biggest thing, I think, is is seeing it as an opportunity. So, um, you know, being surrounded by such awesome people means that I we have a, a lot to learn. Um, and this is a great opportunity when we're all, we're all living in the house together <laughs> yeah. to, to, to do that. And, and yeah, so um, that's that's been a focus for me is to try to try make the most of that. And, and you two guys have have been to previous camps. So this one probably wasn't too intimidating. But go back to last year, Cecilia, which was very much in the same position as Sonia. Um, tell us about your experience at camp last year because we're gonna <laughs> you know it, it was painful wasn't it yeah. was it intimidating before you came she was crying in the shower <laughs> <laughs> um i think maybe i wasn't intimidated enough because i think i went into camp thinking okay you know uh, yeah these people are better than me but like i can do this if i try hard yeah. and um <laughs> i think one lesson that purple patch has taught me it's not always about just trying harder there's trying smarter and doing things better but it wasn't enough clearly last year when i came to camp to just try hard because i got um <laughs> just pummeled in every discipline and it was the hard you can ask my boyfriend he um had to field my phone calls every day sometimes <laughs> in the back of this black suv where i got made fun of a lot um and uh and and yeah so it was a reality check um, to say, wow, these are world-class athletes and this is how they train. This is how they approach the training session. These are their habits. And this is how hard, you know, how they conduct themselves in a workout. And that was really, like Sonia saying, an amazing opportunity to then take that back and say, this is how they're doing that every day. If I want to achieve what they've achieved, I need to do that. Too. Well, that, that was a standard, and I think for you, in fact, we started, that, that's great that you just told that story, because we started this camp this year uh, with me talking to the entire group, mm -hmm. and I said, the epitome of what this camp is about is not the work that we do this week, but what you do with this work and the lessons that you mm -hmm. take, that you go home and apply. Fast forward a year, you saw a standard that was higher than you thought it was going to be and a whole bunch of stuff that you needed to work on and you went back and you worked on it and now this year you're right in the mix mm -hmm. and uh, and it took patience it took baby steps it wasn't a giant leap that you made but it was something that incrementally you got where a year later you look back and you say wow we can laugh about that now and um, and we all know there were lots of tears um, <laughs> Yeah, but, but we also know that the tears are not here this year because you've evolved and you actually had a great, great year. Um, so, so what were the, 
what have the been what have the lessons that you have drawn out of camp this year so far been sort of as you've gone through and you've you've drawn and, and knowing that we we don't just talk about training here you know talk about everything but what are the key lessons from camp so far for you guys i think for me evolving from four years ago being here and the things that i've changed in the last few years i've really seen a direct impact of nutrition for me i've, I've arrived like now that i have a nutritionist kyla and she really tells me what exactly I need to do to fuel myself. Whereas before, I kind of looked at food and thought, oh, well, this is kind of what I need to eat and this is what I need to eat and I don't really know. And it was actually a big stress in my life because I didn't really know what to eat and I knew I didn't know what to eat. And now that I really know I'm fueling myself, I can tell that every session I come back, I feel good. Mm -hmm. I'm ready to go again and I'm fueling afterwards and it's what I need and that's just made a huge difference for myself. And being able to look at everyone. So my first year, you know, you come in, you're a deer in headlights. You're like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. This is, whoa, I'm, I'm with Jesse Thomas. Oh, like this, this is awesome. Mm-hmm. And then you start evolving and you, you look at people and you say, wow, look at how they're riding their bike. I need to ride like that. Look how they run. Wow, I need to run like that. Look how they're swimming. Wow, I need to swim like that. And you really try to apply that to yourself. And you're not only learning from the coaches, but you're learning from all these amazing individuals around you and applying that to your own life. And, and I think just going back to Kyla, Kyla's our residential sort of uh, or resident purple patch uh, dietitian. Uh, the one thing that she's done so well for you, I think, is um, is really being pragmatic mm-hmm. and not making this about how much weight can you drop. Yeah. I mean, this has been a ve- this is all about being habit driven, yeah. hasn't it? And yeah. actually setting you up. And the interesting thing that I've heard you say there was it was a stress reliever. Mm-hmm. So it's actually sort of shifted, empowered you. But it, it's not like you're living like a monk. Oh, no, no not it, at all. No. I think that's that's really important. Yeah. Um, what are the toughest parts of the journey been so far? I mean, you've been here for a week. What, what are the toughest <laughs> parts, mentally or physically? I mean, um, so I think for me, and, and this is more, I guess, more about my um, kind of the pro journey so far, but it, it's campus kind of teaching me a few things that I need to learn. (laughs) Uh, The biggest challenge has been um, kind of nailing the mindset shift that I need to make with regards to training. So, you know, for the first sort of um, six months or so of last year, I was an age grouper, kind of balancing a pretty busy um, venture capital job with triathlon. And I was quite focused when, when I came to training on the, on the process side of things. So it was like something I had to squeeze in at certain times of the day. And my aim was basically to be as efficient as possible <laughs> with, with doing those sessions. So it was very, very process driven. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm understanding and, and trying to sort of make the shift, you know, as a pro. And, and I think also likely if I were to still be an age grouper and wanted to progress more, that the, that mindset kind of needs to change. Um, so now... You know, I need to think about, particularly kind of coming off the back of, of campus, to think about structuring my day around my training and not vice versa, <laughs> which is kind of what I was doing before. Um, and and kind of think also about the bigger picture before starting each session. So, um, you know, rather than kind of, you know, banging out my swim set and be done out of the pool and showered by 7.30, I'm now trying to think about, you know, what am I trying to achieve? What, what the point of the session is? Um, you know, how, how does it fit in the overall, the grand scheme of things? You know, what technical points I should be focusing on? So I've got, you know, maybe 6,000 strokes or something to do. What can I think about during those strokes? Um, and what do I need to execute um, in order for, for me to consider this session a success, be that a time or, you know, you know, certain um, a drill or something like that? It's it's, I found it sort of a surprisingly large mental shift and something I was a bit surprised that it, I was sort of taking a while to get there, basically. And I think this week um, so far has really sort of solidified sort of A, the importance of doing that and B, you know, kind of how to do that. So, you know, being here and being in front of the, the um, you know, the coaches um, and I'm going to I'm going to steal a, a, a dictionary word here. <laughs> it's really helping me to be more present, basically, um, in, in my training and recovery. So it's, you know, seeing seeing what other people do and, and putting that into practice. It's actually quite staggering what you just said there, because a couple of episodes we went through sort of the one element of the the podcast was actually the difference between mindset of of a professional and an amateur Mm -hmm. and one of the phrases I always use is a professional is unapologetically world-class performance and so life has to be built around this very short period of time ultimately that you are on this quest to become the best that you can be for an amateur it's 
to improve, to achieve your goals, but also thrive in all the other elements of life. And so that obviously that resonates with balance and, and big life and everything like that. And, and for you to now go from this transition from, I mean, just this camp, we decided, yes, you will go pro. So you are newer than you. You don't have your license yet. <laughs> Super newbie. <laughs> it's happening in front of you and it's happening on this camp. And that, that's really amazing, I think, for, for listeners to hear. That it's like, wow, there's this transition for you. CDH, what about you, madame? <laughs> wow. Um, I think these camps... Uh, whether you're an amateur or pro or whether it's a purple cap patch camp or another type of camp you go for um to kind of speed up the process of your improvement it's not about going in and putting the biggest week of training in that you've ever done which is true um for me (laughs) this year and last year yeah um but it's also about uh, um about being under a critical eye uh, our eyes uh, who can tell you things form things or technique things that you need to improve on and it's sometimes not what you want to hear you want to hear um, oh you're doing great just keep on doing what you're doing and then you can go back home and go in the pool and do what you've been doing and you're going to get better but that's not always the reality and so for me being told to do something that you think you're already doing right and making an intervention that that you weren't you know expecting to hear that's a, um, a hard part about being at camp but it, it's humbling it makes you okay wow my version of reality is not what's actually happening here and uh, I need to do just like Sonia a mental reset and okay I need to have a different approach and I guess I'm mostly thinking of swimming here which is my weakest discipline where I've been told that what I thought was my 80% kind of my endurance pace for swimming was I was actually swimming at about 50% Mm -hmm. and that felt hard to me I felt winded and but I took someone um (laughs) telling me that I could could go or pushing me to go harder for longer to realize oh wait there's no way that could be your 80% because you can go much harder than that for five minutes and keep on doing it so it's like and, and that was a it's hard to hear and hard to see. And, and I can summarise, by the way, that, that, that very long description of that 80% was wrapped up by me with, hey, step it up, sister, enough of the weak sauce. So that's <laughs> <laughs> basically what I said. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so here's a quick one for you. But as off of all of that, and we talked about academia, um, here's, a, here's a quick one. Quick, uh, might be a one-liner. I'm not sure if you get to answer this. How do you define success for yourself? Who's going to get labelled here? What's success for you, Laurence? Uh, success for me and I, I have thought about this because I think a lot of people define success as getting first place or becoming world champion and for me at least success is giving my all every day and making myself the best that I can be and through that journey becoming role, a role model for others and it's really important to me because throughout my life I've had lots of role models like Laura has been an amazing role model Sarah Piampiano, Sarah Cometto they all helped me on this journey and they're still helping me and I hope that I can do the same thing for other people and that they can look up to me and say like wow like look like and she's friendly and oh wow she'll talk to me and I just think that that's so important and if I can do that and make other people's lives better and also go kick butt that's awesome and I'll be really happy uh, this is a family podcast. You say <laughs> kick behind. Sonia, <laughs> so, what's success for you? Um, so I'm going to be a, a little bit of a cheesy kind of uh, millennial here. But I think I'd ultimately like to have a, a positive impact on the world. So to leave the world a little bit of a, a better place than, than when, I, when I entered it. <laughs> um, and I'd like, uh, you know, sort of in the context of professional sport, um, I'd like to be able to use my pro career, um, at least to start with, as a, as a sort of platform to achieve this. So I'm going to take a little bit of airtime to say that this year I'm going to be racing um, in 1% for the Planet Kit. So it's an organization basically that encourages businesses and individuals to donate 1% of their um, earnings or their revenue to environmental courses. And I kind of hope to be involved in a bit more um, environmental activism and, um, you know, sort of become a little bit more influential um, in that way. Fantastic. So that's 
What's success for you? Um, yeah, also sort of a, a cheesy answer and similar to what these guys have said, but I guess we're, we're a little bit similar <laughs> since we're, you know, female triathletes and um, academic overachievers. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I just I want to do a good job. You know, I, I want to do a good job at what I set out to do. And I think that means setting realistic goals um, that in looking with inside yourself and saying, what do I really want? I think that's something I've, sh- I've struggled with, kind of doing things for the right reason um, and um, not just doing what all my my peers are doing. And I think that's been a decision I um, with... Um, making the decision of like what type of doctor I want to be and I've done um way more homework in this step as opposed to previous steps like you know what to major in or what where, where to go to medical school and I, I think I've really talked to people who are further on in their careers about um about what what they're getting out of it and thinking like 20 years down the line instead of 10 years down the line and um so to choosing a career that's um, or in a path that's gonna um, that's gonna be a good fit for me because if I'm happy, I'm gonna do the best job, and that's gonna have the best positive impact on those around me. I think all three sort of resonate of personal excellence, mm-hmm. but the desire to be a positive influence as well across uh, mm-hmm. landscapes, which is really nice. Um, and um, what are the keys to success? In your sport, what are, what are some of the framework when you sort of think about you on your journey? Is there anything that you need to to help you be successful? For me, community. It's so 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 important, and that's why I'm in San Francisco with Purple Patch because you you can train with other professional athletes who are doing the same thing as you. This is their job; they're doing it. You love it. You grumble, you mumble, and you're like, "Oh man, another workout," but. At Purple Patch, when I come to practice at 5.30 a.m. in the morning and I'm surrounded by all these different people of totally different levels and you see them with full-time jobs, kids, wives, all this stuff going on in their lives and they're there smiling, happy to be there, kicking their butts. like They're just doing an amazing job and I look at them and I'm like, this is amazing. Like You are why I do this. And I love it. And even in bike class, you know, we're in there and I always go next to one of my really good friends, Debbie Callie. And she, I mean, we are dancing to the music. We're laughing. And when it's hard, it's hard. And I put my head down and we're working hard. And at the end, you know, we give each other high fives. And I purposely put myself next to her because I love it. And I'm laughing. And it just, it makes my day that much brighter. And that's the reason why I'm there. And it's so you actually, awesome. you actually draw on the, the lower level athletes oh my to lift your boat as 100%. a professional athlete because I, there's a, yeah. a shared respect of the fact that they are doing this within craziness of obviously mm-hmm. very challenging lives. I, I think it's absolutely amazing. And you get to lie on the couch all day outside. <laughs> yeah. of, uh, so, do, do you guys have anything that you think are really, really critical for your, your, your excellence? Briefly? Yeah, um, I think ultimately if you're spending... 15, 20, 25 hours a week doing something, it needs to be fun. You touched on this, but um, I don't think any of us would, would be where we are if we just don't, if, if we didn't have the pure and simple joy of riding a bicycle. Like, mm-hmm. how fun is that? That Every time I get on it, I'm like, oh, this is great. Or even now jumping in the pool, I'm like, oh, I get to float like I'm <laughs> on vacation. Or not That's float totally so much. <laughs> and, and there's a joy in that and if you're not loving to use a, a dictionary word the rhythm and <laughs> and you know and the movement and the wind on your face or the water in your hair then you're not going to be out there and and just occasionally like having a little you know reminding yourself wow this is this is why i do it isn't that tree we get beautiful. to do this yeah we get, we get what a to. privilege and I, I think i'd be nowhere if i didn't have that kind of inherent love keep keep, keep that spirit keep that spirit make it um, so yeah I think over the past week again um, I've kind of gained an enormous appreciation um, you know for the performance benefits that basically come from being a smarter athlete so fitness strength and, and power certainly aren't everything and, and being smart you know with regards to swim navigation or terrain management uh, you know run technique recovery fueling you know the list goes on <laughs> um, it, it can often be a, a bigger contributor um, 
than I well than I certainly expected um, when it comes to the overall aim, which is which is kind of for us, I guess, going going faster. <laughs> <laughs> well, we get we get so I think so many people. It's so easy to get drawn into metrics and meters and equipment and the next best thing, and and so much of it is grounded in really really basic stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I, I had a conversation with Ed, Ed Baker. Um, of Facebook and Uber and now transitioning into elite amateur triathlon, he sort of always talks about the the eighty twenty rule, where eighty percent of the value comes from the twenty percent of the work, and you know the last mm-hmm. twenty twenty percent or whatever it is, you know, understand? Yeah. Plus, <laughs> I flummox that. So um, let me swiftly move on. <laughs> well, actually, just um, t- like talking about the uh, the sort of the data side of things. Um, so I think one of the one of my personal keys to success in the sport um, is is learning to accept that progression isn't linear. So I kind of expect that it's going to be a journey like going up a set of stairs and everything builds nicely and, I, and I'm, I'm happy with that. Um, but you know <laughs> it's not that's the uh, that's the short of it and and we we measure we sort of have and especially in triathlon i think a tendency to measure everything and a tendency to kind of get then a bit dogged in in the the, the data and 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 the sort of your interpretation of it and and your sort of mental positioning of where you are compared to where you want to be and if, if you're a bit like type a <laughs> goal focused it can be hard to deal with so for me that kind of um you know, I suppose the, uh, the 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 courage to appreciate plateaus and even sometimes, you know, going backwards um, as a part of the process to appreciate that nonlinearity as as one of the the quirks of of human physiology um, <laughs> is going to be a big a big key for me it, in the it's future. It's absolutely critical, and uh, you know, the the data provides a framework. It provides comfort. It provides something to hang on to. And it, it provides sense, but unfortunately. As you say, human physiology is chaos, and um, mm-hmm. and we are doing this within the boundaries of a chaotic life as well. And so, we can do all we can to track and uh, and progress and learn utilizing the data, but that cannot drive us because um, it is never linear. It never has been linear for anyone, so it's important. So here's a surprise for you guys. We've got some quick-fire questions. Mm. Every guest gets oh, quick-fire. Oh, no. So, Cecilia, so oh, I'm oh. going to predict failure here. <laughs> because on the quick-fire questions, you're only allowed to answer it with either one word or a cluster of words that make up, collectively, something called a sentence. Okay? <laughs> and so we are not allowed to talk in paragraphs here. And it has to be from the gut and it has to be quick because okay. there are oh, eight questions... So eight times three, someone help me. What's eight times three? 24. There you go, well done. Thank you. <laughs> I would have found that one. That was my first success. <laughs> 24 period done. That was, uh, you peeked out the microphone there. But uh, that was a, uh, a quest. So here we go. Are you ready? We're going to go in random order. So, so one fire, quick fire. Question number one. What's the biggest challenge a time-starved high performer faces? Learning to appreciate that you can only do several things well at one time. Sleep. Fueling straight after. Fueling straight after, okay. Number two, what's your number one performance habit to maintain daily energy? Nutrition. Nutrition. Sleep. (laughs) Oh, you still mind sleep. Sorry. (laughs) Sleep, no, that's okay. You can have the same ones, that's all right. All right, training. A, listening to music. B, focus on the task at hand. Or C, troubleshoot work or life problems. Focus on the task at hand. Focus on the task at hand. (laughs) I do a fair amount of troubleshooting. You do a fair amount of troubleshooting. We need to have a conversation. (laughs) What do you wish you had more of? Sleep. Time. Money. (laughs) (laughs) You're in the wrong sport. Okay. Training. Fly solo or surround yourself with a crowd? Crowd. Solo. Solo. Lone wolves. <laughs> Name one or two characteristics of an elite performer across all disciplines. Present. Gumption. Resilience. All three I agree with. Who has been your biggest mentor, performance or not? So sports performance or not. Who's been your biggest mentor? My dad. My dad. <laughs> My husband. <laughs> mm. 
any tips for travel? You're traveling around the world, Sonia. What's your number one tip for yeah. someone that's traveling? Oh, I try to keep it as light as possible, as, as light as possible, even though that is impossible. <laughs> mm. Don't stress the details. Pack a lunch. Yeah, like <laughs> nice. Fantastic. So, guys, thank you so much. It's, uh, it, it's, it's been a, a source of learning for me, your coach, and, uh, and also, I think, inspirational. And I really appreciate your willingness to share, to expose uh, your, your real thoughts. And, um, and I hope that uh, listeners get a lot out of this as we carry on our journey of performance. So thanks so much, guys. Thanks for being here. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Now get back to work. (laughs) (laughs) Take care. Thank you. Well, what an intriguing and inspirational discussion. Thanks so much. We really appreciate it. Sonia, Laurence, Cecilia, beyond the great insights and the fun-loving attitude, I can assure you that these three women are highly committed and, in their own way, complete endurance sports assassins watch this space i'm going to greatly enjoy being part of their journey and i think that you're going to embrace seeing their performance evolution over the coming years i hope that you found the stories useful and fun until next time matt dixon signing off take care to learn more about purple patch custom triathlon programming our upcoming training camps in san francisco kona and south carolina Or to learn more about Matt's latest book, Fast Track Triathlete, visit purplepatchfitness.com. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. We'd love it if you would subscribe, rate, review, and share. Thanks.